Chief Executive of the New Zealand Cricket Player Association. We'll be talking about the recent controversy surrounding the election of Elsevier Ramakrishnan as the player representative on the ICC Cricket Committee and the removal of Ross Taylor as New Zealand captain, amongst other things. Welcome to the show, Heath. Oh, thanks very much. It's good to be here. Uh, it's my pleasure having you on. We will talk about Ross Taylor being replaced as a captain of New Zealand that situation, we'll talk about uh, New Zealand women cricketers uh, getting central contracts and other things. But firstly, we need to get this out of the way. This has been on everybody's plate the last couple of weeks, and that is Elsev Ramakrishnan getting elected as player representative to the ICC Cricket Committee, replacing Tim May. And uh, there's a whole lot of controversy surrounding it. First, I want to get your take on it, and then we can discuss it further. Sure, sure. You know, I think it's a, a really um, disappointing and sad situation for cricket, cricket for, quite frankly. Um, we obviously were aware a few weeks ago that that um, there was there was some interference happening. Uh, you know, under the, the players were asked, the captains were asked, sorry, to vote for a second time, was which in itself was a bit strange. And and typically, um, we know there's seven or eight captains always vote for Tim May because they come from countries with strong with player associations. Uh, and historically, they've always voted for Tim as, as he is the representative of the players internationally, and obviously Fika, heads Fika. Um, uh, we understand after the second round, uh, the votes for lot five all between um, Laxman, Savarana, Krishnan and, and Tim, which was strange. Uh, and then there was a, a, another vote was held, uh, and then obviously Laxman won that 6-4. And uh, through conversations Fika had with, with individual player associations, it became quite apparent that captains had been interfered with uh, by the boards and why the boards are involved in this process is it, it all is beyond me because it, it should be a player representative not a board representative um, however it, it appears um, that uh, some players were interfered with um, in terms of their decision making and I think that's been supported by what's come out in, in some media comment and some in media articles in, in the last week or so and you know, this is this is a sad, sad, sad situation for cricket. I think when when this sort of behaviour occurs, and we've obviously later um, we'll, we'll asked the ICC to investigate the matter, and we're still waiting to hear from them. And we don't know whether their ethics committee would look at it, but I certainly think there's enough anecdotal evidence. There's enough media articles. Um, you know, there's some anonymous captain has been quoted in one article as saying that, 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 that um, he felt pressured to vote for Laxman. Mm-hmm. Um, there's enough there, I think, for the ICC to investigate it, and we'll be very disappointed if they don't. Okay. So, let me track it back a little. Um, was there the doubts that this whole election process itself was tampered with uh, began when the first media report uh, surfaced? That was from Neil Manthorpe, I think. 
Yeah, we, we were aware before then that, that um, things weren't tracking as they normally do. Um, you know, I, guess I, I noted, you know, typically seven or eight of the captains always vote for Tim because they have player associations and, and he's clearly uh, their, their representative. So when it came back that there was five all, it sort of raised a few eyebrows and, and questions were asked. I think what people have got to understand here is that this is the players' representative on the, on the cricket committee. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you, Tim Ray is logically, um, for, for most of the players around the world, through feature in their player associations, is their actual independent representative. And he is the one who goes to the meetings uh, well-informed. He Before every meeting, he surveys all the international players. He makes sure um, they are across the issues, and he has their collective views that he can present at the meeting. It doesn't, if you, if you logically think about it, it doesn't make any sense that a captain would vote for Laxman to perform that role because he has no ability to communicate with the collective players around the world. He has no ability to to um, to understand their views, to survey them, and, and, and to represent them at that cricket committee. So, so it doesn't make sense that people would vote for Laxman in the first uh, in the first place because he he can't perform the role that a player representative like Tim May can. And I think we need to be honest about it now. There is no true player representative sitting around the ICC credit committee if this decision is, is seen to, to, to continue. That, that's, a sad, that's a sad outcome for cricket. Um, in terms of fairness, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, which is that you mentioned Lakshman Ramakrishnan does not have the ability and, of course, that is in relation to Tim May and Tim May's past as a representative, basically founding the Australian Cricket Association and then being with FICA. And that I understand. But just to be fair to Sivaram Krishnan, because in my view, he's a pawn in this game rather than, you know, someone that we should be pointing fingers at. That's my belief anyway. You know, he's an ex-player, he's he's been a commentator, he's been around the game, so perhaps he could. Time will only tell whether he can do the job or not. So from that point of view, I thought I would put that out there, but if, as evidence seems to point out, the process itself was tampered with, then the results should be null and void. Yeah, look, you're 100% right about uh, with your point. This is not about Laxman. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't, I don't know him personally. I understand he's a really good guy, and he's obviously played the game at the highest level. He's a good cricket brain, and it's, it's not about him. I do believe that he's effectively been a pawn in this in this whole exercise, um, and, and so it's so it's sad for him as well to be be dragged into it as, as he has been. But I just don't. I believe you, you to be able to represent the players collectively. You have to be able to communicate with them, and we Tim May obviously does that through the various player associations and by right. surveying players and making sure he represents their views. And I think with Laxman's comments, since he's got the position, you know, he's made comments. Well, I'm looking forward to getting to the to the next meeting and giving my view on things. Well, that, that's mm-hmm. actually not what his role he's been elected for. It's not about his view; it's about the players' view. And I think you know, we would all sit here and say it would be fantastic if there was a player association in India that, that joined our meetings and, and was able to contribute to giving the collective player views and someone like Laxman may well be you know, a guy who, who could get involved in, in an organisation like that but you know, as we all know the BCCI are not too keen on player representatives which I think is, is sad because that's, we, we, try, we want the game to be run well, we want it to be governed well, it's now a, a fully-fledged professional sport 
players and athletes, if you look around the world in all sports, have representatives. They are around the table and they are working with the game's administrators to improve the game. It's a positive thing for the sport. And I... You're spot on when you say that Siv Ramakrishnan said he will give his views while I would think the job's brief would be that you should be expressing the players' views and perhaps you should be uh, more learned on what the job description is. Um, and you're right and he's wrong for having said that. We saw there was an announcement or a media press release from ICC that said that there was some confusion in the first voting process because, you know, which captain to vote, whether the ODI captain or the test captain, so on and so forth. But, you know, it's not a new thing. Uh, you know, it's not something that came up in 2013. We have had multiple captains for many years now. So I'm surprised that there would be still confusion as to who should be the captain, which, you know, whether it's a limited overs captain or a test captain that should be voting, which kind of is fishy, but, you know, we can only take them on their word. And then it says that there was another voting process. So that makes it two, whereas the report that uh, Manthorpe uh, wrote said Graham Smith voted three times, and you also mentioned three times, and there was a recent um, news release I saw on the Pakistan Observer where Tim May is quoted as saying players have voted three times as well. So do you know anything from, you know, Brendan McCullum, whether he voted three times as well? Yeah, well, look, it's, it's all very confusing, isn't it? Um, which I think is, uh, makes your ears prick up, quite, quite frankly. Um, look, I, I understand there, there have been three votes. Uh, then I'm pretty sure Brendan was asked to vote three times, which... It's just, it doesn't make sense. Um, as you say, we've had multiple captains for many years. This process has been run many, many times. Mm-hmm. Um, it just appears after that, the first um, vote, there may well have been multiple captains vote from one country. I'm, I'm not sure. That doesn't make sense to me, but you've got to take them at their word. Um, but, the, but the fact that they've had to have, um, have a vote three times, and I think importantly, the fact that the boards are involved in the voting process, it must lead any sensible person to, to, to see that something Absolutely. must have gone on here and it's not right and it needs to be looked at. The, in the ICC media release, it said uh, that captains weren't put under the pressure by the member, vo- member boards uh, to vote for any particular individual whereas all things point to the contrary. And there is no evidence. So is it possible that any player would... I mean, Graham Smith, by name, he's been said in that Manthorpe report, and there is an, uh, one anonymous captain as well. So do we expect any of the captains to come forward? I, I think the captains are in a very, very difficult situation. Uh, it's, at the end of the day, they're actually um, employees, and, and if their employer uh, has been involved and, and interfered with their thinking or, or, or strongly urged them to, to do something, they're, they're in a situation where they've really got... It, it's difficult for them not to do what their boss tells them. So I think that the, the, the captains are in a very difficult situation. Um, we're, we're certainly aware, and as, you, as you've noted, there's been comments in the public domain and some articles aware that there has been interference mm-hmm. with some of the captains, but I think we just need to sit back and, and wait for the ICC now to, to hopefully work through a, an investigation, and, and hopefully they will talk to all the relevant people, and they'll do it in a way where people will feel confident about speaking honestly about what has happened and, not, and, and won't feel compromised about it. I, I don't know if it does anyone any good to be 
throwing names around in the public domain. Well, you said this, and he said that, and I said that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, 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 that actually isn't, would not be a good outcome for the game. But there's enough here for a, a good governance system to say, listen, something's not right. Let's have a look at it, and we'll do. And, and I believe they need to do it in a manner where they protect individuals, because it's not, it's not a political race here. This is we're dealing with captains who are employees of boards. There's a lot at stake for those individuals and we need to be cognizant of that fact. My first, first thing that pops to mind is, number one, the ICC Cricket Committee does not have any power of implementing, implementing the recommendations. It still has to go through the uh, executive board and then the ICC board to get ratified. So first question is, why would there be anyone pushing their candidate to this post? In this case, it looks like BCCI pushed uh, or uh, pressured boards and then through them, the captains, to change their votes. Uh, why would that happen for a pretty inconsequential committee? That's a really good question and, and, and one that uh, uh, we're sort of struggling to understand as well. Uh, the, the, the ICC Cricket Committee is, is an ICC committee, so therefore it's important. The ICC say it's important. Um, mm-hmm. They say they value the views of the committee, and we all know some of what the committee's put forward hasn't made it past the executive board. Um, nevertheless, they, they purport that the committee is very important. It's one of only three effective boards or committees that the ICC have. So my one would think we need, we need to treat it with respect, um, and they say they want a player's representative on that committee. So we are only doing what uh, and responding to what the, the ICC has said they want in this committee. So it's an, it, in, in our mind, it's an important committee in the process of governance in terms of electing the representative. It's critical as a point of principle. If we were to ignore this, what's mm. happened here that we've seen, then we might as well pack up our bags and go home and ignore every decision because every decision will be made um, by politics and, and lobbying and so on and so forth. And when that happens, you don't get decisions that are made in the best interest of cricket. And, and I'm, I'm going a bit off track here. Um, sorry, but I, no, no, I think no. this all actually relates relates to the to governance, quite frankly, at, at World Cricket. And we, you know, we can go back to the Wolf report that was com- completed a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. My understanding of it, it's gone nowhere. There's very little of that that has been adopted. And that, was, that stated quite clearly that we needed to move to a more independent structure in mm-hmm. governing the game so that people sat around the board table or the cricket committee or whatever and voted on issues that were that were in the best interest of cricket. That was their that, that was their mandate. At the moment, too many people well every the way the um, ICC is governed, the, the board is set up with representatives from each member board. People sit around that table and they vote in the best interest of themselves. So therefore the decisions that are made for ICC are not in the best interest of cricket. As a matter of principle you sit here and you see this, this, what's happened here is not right. And if we, if we, the player, the players, the player associations, were to let it go and say nothing, we're just going to become part of the problem. No, that's a very valid point that you raise. It's a matter of principle more than anything. Even if this committee does not go on to achieve anything, but it's a matter of principle, and I agree with you on that. But another question to be a reasonable question to be asked is if um, BCCI has the power and the money and the fans and the viewership, all that. But still, you know, they cannot exist in a vacuum in the sense that they cannot play international cricket if no other cricket-playing nation is playing with them. 
So if a lot of the problems in terms of governance and power and money comes right back, uh, you know, can be put at the feet of BCCI, then why aren't the other nine boards resisting BCCI's influence? Uh, that's exactly right. And that's, a good, that's a very good question and one we ask all the time of, of those other boards that we're involved with. You know, international cricket uh, needs there to be 10, if not more, strong countries around the world playing in that BCCI and Indian cricket needs that because you're quite right. It needs someone to play. You're, you're right. The, the, the other, where are the other boards in, the, in, in this? You're quite right. And what are they doing about it? And if you know three, four, five, or six other boards were to were to stand up and say, "No, we don't think this is right. We, we want to look at this in the best interest of cricket and so on and so forth," that would be fantastic. But they're not doing that. And mm-hmm. if we look historically, they don't do that. They never. They, that never appears to be the case. And I think. It comes back to that governance issue where each individual organisation and person is sitting around that board table and they're, they're acting in the, what's the best interest of them rather than the overall game. And that's where we're going to miss here because it, 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 it encourages behaviour where people look after themselves or their own organisations. Hmm. And, and, and it can no way be the right answer for cricket, in my view. When is that? When is that straw that's going to break the camel's back happen? Because from what we see, you know, every single board is out to protect its own interests. Nobody seems to give a damn about the interests of the sport. So, do you see, you know, a point where we actually break away from this terrible approach to sport? It's interesting. I. What what will be that straw that breaks the camel's back? It, it's a good question. I, I I I've almost given up hope on the ICC. In effect, the ICC is the ten test playing boards. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. all one and the same. Okay. Almost given up, lost a bit of faith in, in, in them being able to to um, to change this environment. It, and my sense is it will come back down to the players, hmm. the players who are independent of the politics. Um, if the players collectively around the world and the Indian players will have a big would have a big role to play here, stand up and say no, no, this behaviour and how the sports run is not right. Perhaps the players can collectively stand up and, and say no. And, and if you look at other sports around the world, that's typically what happens whenever there's a major change mm-hmm. in a commercial professional sport. It's it's usually on the back of either a player standing up collectively or um, a third party, a broadcaster or some other third party through privatisation hitting the sport and, and, and forcing the change. So at some point, something will happen uh, and, it, and it will force the change, but I, I hope that change will be a good outcome. I think one other point I, I need to make as well is that the BCCI have been have done some wonderful things for cricket, um, and I think that gets lost uh, when we have these debates and it's seen as an us and them situation and, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I, I don't believe that. Now if you look at the Indian Premier League that is a fantastic uh, sporting competition now. It's a, a recognised around the world it's a, it's a significant sporting competition that the BCCI have lived, lived developing, grown. It's, it's a fantastic event. T20 cricket has been great for the sport insofar as it's attracted new viewership. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot more women being interested in following the sport now and, 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 and a lot more kids taken up. 
And, and, and when you look at what the BCCI has done around broadcasters, and clearly with India with, with, with as a country, the contribution that makes to the game in terms of revenue, it's, it's fantastic. And that will be in large part due to the BCCI and how they've, how they've run their commercial arrangements around broadcasters in India. So we all benefit from that. BCCI has a critical role to play in leading the, leading the sport. The current model of governance, mm-hmm. I think, times allows them to extend into areas that isn't right. Um, and I think if, if, if they could embrace players and players having a, having a view and player feedback, player representation, particularly from the Indian players, I think that would, that would help a lot with the decision-making in the game. And that's the one missing piece to me. The, the governance model, to, in my mind, is flawed. We need to move to an independent, an independent model. But we also need the BCCI to lead the sport in a way in which all 10 test-playing nations can grow and develop and in a way in which the players have a good say in how the game's run. The B, and I would love to see the BCCI show some leadership in that area. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would think, considering the fact that they have the largest pool of players, uh, largest viewership, all that, any significant change will have to be from their, uh, you know, they have to take the initiative on that, and I hope they do, you know. With, you know, as the saying goes, power come, with power comes responsibility. Okay, all right, let's, let's talk about um, things that uh, you have to handle internally in uh, New Zealand cricket. And one of the recent ones, the big situation was the replacement of Ross Taylor as captain of New Zealand team and the surrounding hoopla. Yeah. And then you had uh, John Parker's thing that came out. Question comes from uh, Michael Wagner, who is in Auckland. Did you ever consider suing John Parker as NZZPA chief executive? Um, look, it's been a difficult six months for us here in New Zealand, and as you say, um, you know, with, with Ross Taylor um, losing the captaincy to Brendan McConnell, and we, from the Player Association point of view, just wanted to focus on the players and make sure they were looked after, and, and we were supporting them as much as we could. There's no question, and we have certainly um, said to New Zealand cricket that the, 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 the way in which the captaincy changed hands, or, or Ross Taylor was was stood down, and Brendan McCullough got the job, was not good. They didn't manage that process particularly well at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think, though, um, we, we have to be very careful because uh, an organisation, a team, a country, uh, they have every right to pick who their captain is. That's their decision. It's not the player's decision. It's not my decision. It's, it's not well, our organisation's decision. So they've got that right. All we could focus focus on was the process and we believe that could have been handled much better than New Zealand cricket have accepted that with us and, and we hope it won't be repeated. I think unfortunately um, what we've seen in, in the time in the month since then is you know a, a group of um, past players, it appears there's a group mm-hmm. have been with New Zealand cricket for a while and they've decided to put out the paper, John Parker's put out a paper purporting to represent a, a number of players. I personally actually don't think that he, that, he, that he does represent a lot of players. I certainly have spoken to some who are on, on his email list, and they tell me that um, you know they're just simply on the email list and they mm-hmm. have nothing nothing to do with what he's put together. So, but um, in, in terms of what that, that's done for, for us here, is it's it's created a whole lot of angst and, and, and unnecessary discussion about the game. I believe, um, or, the, or the ability of New Zealand the New Zealand cricket board now. There's no question that um, 
we would like to see uh, one or two past players on the board of New Zealand cricket. And I think that's, that, that's a must moving forward. To be fair to them, this is the first term where there hasn't been some past players on the board. There's typically been one or two. Mm-hmm. And, and their board meetings now, the current CEO and the president, uh, David White and, and, and uh, Stephen Bock, are both past players. So there has been past player involvement in their decision-making. But we believe there needs to be a couple of past players on the on the board, and I'm pretty sure that that's where we'll get to moving forward. Um, that would that will be healthy. In terms of John Parker himself, mm-hmm. um, that, that that appeared to be the thrust of what they are after, and, and New Zealand cricket are, are going to make those changes to their constitution, which is great to ensure there's some past players involved. In terms of John Parker, John Parker is a past player. He's actually a member, a past player member of the Player Association. Um, Whilst I certainly read the documentation he put together, and I was disappointed with a large amount of it, um, we, we would certainly not, um, we would not make a move to sue or to challenge a, a, a member or, or a past player. I, I think that would be send um, send a bad signal. Um, so we haven't we haven't done that, but I can certainly understand how some individuals would be concerned with what's been put into the public domain. Okay, excellent. Um, I want to go to another topic as well, which is that. You have four New Zealand women's cricketers getting a professional contract with the cricket board, uh, with the NZC, uh, which is tremendous. So what was the process involved and do you expect that pool of players to be growing more and more so that you have a base set of, say, like 15 or 20 women that can play cricket professionally and not worry about, you know, how they're going to pay the bills next? Yeah, it's a really positive development for cricket here. We, we, um, the initiative came following our, um, our most recent negotiation with New Zealand Cricket for an, the memorandum, memorandum of understanding that governs the White Ferns environment. Um, and we, when we were around the table with New Zealand Cricket, we, we discussed the fact that Australia and England seem to have moved forward um, yeah. quite a bit in the last 18 months to two years with, with the quality of their play. And, and we understood that in those countries, a, a, a large number of their players were actually contracted to the board and were involved in development work, but also contracted to play and prepare. So you know, we had a situation where our players really were paid a daily fee um, and they, they couldn't commit full-time to cricket because they had to work to pay their bills to live. Um, mm-hmm. So it wasn't we weren't giving them the, the, right, the appropriate environment or the tools to, to compete with the, these two sides, Australia and England, who appeared to take a step ahead of everyone else. So, is, uh, so we worked with Dylan Cricket and, and discussed how, how can we contract some players. And, and we, then we, got on, we, we discussed the New Zealand Cricket Development Programme and then the opportunity to contract four players within that programme to work in the, in the development of cricket, but also to practice and play and, and work on their game full-time. And... So now we've got these these four players who are now effectively full-time working in cricket, which is a fantastic outcome. Our challenge now is to work with New Zealand cricket to get the revenue so we can increase that number from four to about 12, and I think that would help our game tremendously. I mean, the contracts that were announced in April, uh, they are for one year. Uh, is there a reason why you just chose one year? Because, you know, they were going to be playing um, you know, a World Cup every four years, so you would think from one World Cup to another, that's four years, so... If you're going to focus on preparing for the next world tournament, then they should at least be confident and secure that they're going to have a long-term contract. Why was it just a one-year thing? 
Well, a couple of um, reasons here. Our, our, our men's contracts, in fact, most of the contracts around the world are running annual contracts, and then there's a, there's a reassessment completed um, at the end of the contract period, and then a, then, a, then a group of players are contracted again for the following year, and then by and large, it's the same 75, 80% of players. Um, and so there's we're quite comfortable and used to going from uh, having one-year contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, we, we did want to see how the program goes in the first 12 months because it's a bit of a, you know, we want to see if the girls are, are comfortable working in, in the environment. It works from New Zealand cricket's perspective and it works from the players' perspective. Certainly, since since the, since the girls have started, I've had, I've had um, positive feedback from all of them about it. And I, and I would see the program being extended and continuing over the next three or four years and hopefully hopefully involving more more girls. Uh, and one, one, there's one important point I'd like to make. It's mm-hmm. a, I, I think we need to do a lot more to promote women's cricket in, in general. I, I mean, I look in New Zealand and around the world, I'm not sure we've done enough. It's, it seems quite obvious to me, and it'll be obvious to all the listeners, that, uh, that half the population's women. And uh, yeah. I'm not sure we've done enough to promote the women's game and encourage them uh, because, you know, women, we want women who are often the decision makers in families when, with children encouraging their kids to play cricket because it's the sport of their choice, it's the sport they love. And I think we need to do more Absolutely. to promote and develop women's cricket to help the game as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I want to ask you about the. Uh, you know, you, you talked about IPL, BCCA, and all that. And so the thing I want to talk about is the one that precedes IPL, which was ICL. And you had uh, quite a few New Zealand players that chose to play in the ICL. And the decisions that were taken later on uh, were terrible for them, that they were going to be banned by the respective home boards. Um, you know, if they want. So at the time, you had Shane Bond, Chris Keynes. Daryl Tuffy, Lou Winston, and others um, that were involved in it. And basically, those players were left high and dry. So what was the situation at the time between the NZCPA and NZC? Yeah, it was, um, it was a, an interesting time for us all, I can, I can tell you that. Um, look, uh, I think uh, the, the ICL was... Obviously, it doesn't run anymore, and there were problems with that at the end mm-hmm. in terms of player performance. But it, but it actually was the catalyst for the IPL in many ways, and it had a positive contribution to cricket, and it certainly um, made the boards and then other people involved in cricket get more organised as we saw this the growth or the explosive growth of, of T20 cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, was a, it was a massive issue here because our players, by comparison to most other players around the world, are quite poorly paid. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, one of our top players under our contract and payment system here now is, is doing much better than they were in the past, but they'll earn you about $250,000 to $300,000, where you can times that by close to 10 um, to other players in other countries around the world. And the ICL was an opportunity for them to go and play in quite an exciting new league T20 in, in, in India mm-hmm. and earn some money. Um, so... Given our guys are independent contractors, they have every right to work, work for anyone they wish to, um, as long as it didn't impact on their commitments to New Zealand cricket um, under their contracts. And those commitments are obviously playing and training. And the, the, I, I, I can't recall the windows at the time. We're going back a few years now. But certainly the ICR window did, did fit um, for our players to participate in it. But then, of course, we had the politics start to come into play. And, and to a certain extent, I, I, I can understand that, um, where... The, the, the ICL was a private venture. Uh, the BCCI wanted to develop their own 
um, at a T20 competition and own it, and, and you effectively had a, a war similar to the Kerry Packer War in India uh, yeah. between the ICL and the, and the BCCI. And, now that's that. That was not good for cricket, uh, um, and no, our the, players the, more than any any other country got caught up in it. No, my my thing is this: that the players shouldn't be caught in between all of this. You know, whether the boards, the private ventures, whatever, the players' interest should be protected, and that's why you have a players' association. You know, like yours. Um, so, what was your stance? I mean, what was the thing going between NCCPA and um, the board at the time? Because I read some comments from you that uh, you didn't have a conciliatory tone to how the whole thing was uh, handled, right? Yeah, but our, our view was very strong um, that the players had a right to ply their trade for, as independent contractors for any other party uh, by law, and they had a right to go and play in the ICL, and we did not recall from that, and we're very strong with New Zealand cricket about that. And they agreed with us at the time that that, 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 that was so under law. Now, of course, that's when the politics kicked in, and New Zealand cricket came under significant pressure from BCC and one or two other boards to, to ensure that players didn't play in the ICL. And, and it got to the stage where... Um, Basically, there were managed situations, and in, in, in Shane Bond, as, as everyone is aware, um, had, had signed with the ICL on the understanding that that was okay mm-hmm. um, with cricket because it, it was. Uh, he is allowed to play for any, anyone else. Um, and then, of course, New Zealand cricket came under huge pressure from other organisations to ban him. So rather than take the matter to court or, or, or go get to a stage where Shane Bond and the Player Association were fighting New Zealand cricket, Shane decided by his own uh, version to to um, to step aside from his New Zealand contract and, and honour what he believed he could do and what he had said he would do to the ICL. And, and so we lost Shane Bond for a couple of years here, which is in, in no way is that a good outcome for cricket. So Absolutely. We, we were strong in our view. <laughs> I mean, not we just for New Zealand cricket, it's for the rest of the cricket world, you know. You, you, if you don't get to watch Shane Bond uh, bowling in a test match or ODF for New Zealand, it's, it's a huge loss for everybody. Yeah, and I think that actually that period um, had a big impact on the Black Caps, the team, because we, we lost, I forget the number, but off the top of my head, seven or eight players mm. to the ITL. It may even be a little bit more, actually. Um, and, and admittedly, you know, two or three of them were, were retired or, or weren't playing for New Zealand at the time, but some still could have been. Yeah. And, and for a small country like New Zealand, if you lose you know, half a dozen players from your mix, guys that can put pressure on other players or still be playing for New Zealand, that has a big impact on the performance of your international team. And, and I do think um, the Black Caps' performances probably suffered as a result of that, which probably isn't acknowledged um, by, by many people around the world. <laughs> and that's where I come back to a point that was said right at the start. If we had a government system that, that, that was truly acting in the best interests of cricket, than having 10 test, strong test-playing teams, mm-hmm. we wouldn't allow a situation like that to occur. Now, that's not to say that the ICL was brilliant and it should have been allowed to continue. I certainly understand why the BCCI would not like that. Yeah. But, the, but the outcome still was not the right outcome. We, people needed to work harder to get a better outcome for cricket than they did, in my view. Very true. Um, I'm going to let you go with one final question, and that is, how is Jesse Ryder doing? Um, he still um, has headaches uh, and, has, and isn't back to full health, but hopefully he'll be back to full health in the next um, three or four weeks and, and he can consider, can consider getting back in the nets and 
in hand the cricket ball. He certainly had a tough time, um, and it was obviously when the incident happened down in Christchurch, it was a dreadful four or five days for us all. Um, but he's but he's getting back on he's getting back on into full health now, and, and hopefully, as I said, you'll, you'll start hitting some cricket balls soon. From the players' perspective, what steps that you you are thinking about are you've already taken? You know, not to have repeat of such incidents. I'm not saying you know a, no player should ever go out, but but they are public figures. They become target for whatever. Um, has there been discussion on along those lines? Yeah, look, there has been, um, and I, I think there's a realization now amongst our athletes. Sadly, um, and not just in cricket and other sports as well, mm-hmm. that they really can't go out uh, in the public domain um, like they like athletes used to five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we need to they need to manage themselves better than they used to. Um, with, with modern media now, and it's not not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a fact of life. With modern media, with technology, cell phones, and cameras, and and social media. People are looking to get a photo or get a statement or get something online or into the public domain that creates a story. Um, And so now when players and athletes are out in the public domain, if they do one thing wrong, if they say the wrong thing or they they drink too much, um, then they're going to have their names in the paper for all the wrong reasons. And then that's just the reality. I I don't think it's a, a good outcome because... You, you, you want your athletes and your players to be mixing with the public. Um, mm-hmm. But it's very difficult when it's late at night. Um, people have been un, uh, under the influence and we're dealing with young young, young men, really, who are still making their way in life. So it's a, it's a sad situation, but it's, it's the reality now that we, we need to um, manage the environment around the players more when they, when they go out and they socialise in the public domain and they need to understand, they need to be educated yeah. through our education programmes about what about what are the, what's the best decision-making um, processes they should be followed when they do make a decision to go out. All right. Thank you so much for uh, spending time with me talking on all the issues, Heath. It was a pleasure talking to you. No worries. I really enjoyed it, and hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Yep, absolutely. Couch Talk.